thank you for that. I, I just think that's so necessary in certain times. And Second Corinthians chapter eight, we, we noticed at the beginning of this second portion of this second letter, which is chapters eight and nine, that deals with this, this reality of how grace tutors the Christian heart to giving is bookended by that word grace. We noticed going forward that even in this first six verses of chapter 8 that the word grace is most used in the early stages of the second portion as compared to the rest of the second portion of this second letter. It started that way, didn't it, in verse 1? Do you remember that? Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which was given to the churches of Macedonia. And you know that Paul is going to teach the Corinthians how the grace of God and this grace of giving developed the Macedonian heart to give so the Corinthians could learn from their example. Well, let's mention again here um, a couple more times in these first six verses. Look at verse 4, begging. This is where we're going to begin this morning begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. You see that word favor? That's the word grace again. And we'll discuss that this morning. In support of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this, and there's that third usage in the first six verses, gracious work as well. We have to understand, just by way of review, that grace teaches the believer, you, me, us, how to give the same way. Right? Because grace is what it is. It's unchangeable. Its ability to mentor the believer who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit is the same for all of us. And he does so by the word of God. And the word of God is unchanging. So therefore, whatever we all learn about what giving is through this text, we all should be learning the same way because we're learning it from the same grace. Does that make sense? So there shouldn't be five, 600 different ways to give. Are you with me? Amen. Believers just give as we're taught by the Spirit of God through the Word of God how that's done. Okay. We noticed here the last time we were together that the main verb of this long sentence, which is verses 3 through 5, is the word gave. And we mentioned last time that that powerful verb just kind of... Um, reverberates, vibrates through all the descriptions of the intentionality, the, the motivation, even the methodology of how the Macedonian, Macedonians gave. And we are going through and unpacking verses 3 through 5, this one sentence, and all of these phrases very, very carefully because it's what God's word teaches us regarding how grace teaches us us on how we are to give and how we are to give well we started off in verses one and two knowing that 
God's grace mentors us to give impartially, regardless of our circumstance. We're not going to go back through and study that. Okay. We began learning last time we were together that God's grace compels our hearts to share and give with a proper disposition, an intention, a conviction, should we say a prioritization, because last time we saw the word first here, we'll see it again, the word this morning, in relationship to giving. So grace instructs us to impartially give and dispositionally give with a wise attitude, and there's going to be all these different words that are going to describe what that disposition is as we go through the rest of these phrases this morning. So, where did we end off last time? Well, uh, we learned that um, the Macedonian believers gave proportionately. Remember that phrase? For I testify that according to their ability. We said ability meant their means. Remember we made the historic first century marriage analysis there? This is the idea of a groom, all right? providing for his new bride all that he had, regardless of his social status, right? whether he was rich or poor. When he said, I do to her, he was committing to her all that he had. And it says here that they gave even more than that. The Macedonian gave beyond their means. They gave out of their poverty. In other words, when they gave all that they had, they were finding new ways to give. And those phrases are just teaching us that that's where that cliche, that Christianized cliche comes from. You can't outgive God. Have you ever heard that? That's the idea. Grace keeps giving to us, doesn't it? In Christ. And so the Christian experience is well, then we take on the same narrative. The same story. It just keeps finding ways to care for the flock and promote the gospel. Okay. It says they gave of their own accord. They gave willingly. We know from verses 1 and 2, they gave joyfully and sacrificially. They're giving proportionately. They're giving willingly. And these are all Adverbs describing how they gave that you can pick up any commentary on this text that has any value and you'll see these words in it. This is just common information to people that know their Bibles well, but we forget that this is all demonstrated to us or offered to us, taught to us by God's grace. They gave of their own accord. Okay? So, we'll begin, as I said earlier, with this phrase, this next phrase, begging us. The Macedonians were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. I think it's always wise here to notice that it was the Macedonians who were begging to share in the participation and not Paul. There's something of grace to learn here as well. Where grace is understood and lived, spiritual leadership should never have to come to the place of pleading for the needs of the flock and the progress of the gospel by way of giving to people. In a healthy church, in a church that's being spirit-governed to the person and then collectively, giving should not really be discussed much or have to be discussed much. Are you with me? As a matter of fact, 
The topic of giving is not discussed much. From Acts chapter 2 forward, and predominantly it's discussed mostly in Acts. As a matter of fact, the only time a corrective is brought to a local church on the topic of giving, it's here in Corinth. Every other church in the New Testament doesn't have an issue with giving. So what can we assume from that? This is just what grace does to people governed by the Spirit. They are just taught how to give. And they do. As a matter of fact, we studied last time, later on in verses 9 and 10, that the Corinthians used to be ones who were known for embracing this grace of giving, but unbelief distracted them, remember? And they had set that aside for a year. And now they're picking it back up, and Paul gives them the example of these Macedonians to consider. The word begging is a common word in the New Testament. It's used twice of the demoniac in Luke chapter 8 and verse 28 where he was even passionately begging Christ for a very unique, unique request if you're familiar with that passage. It's a petitioner's cup. It's someone who's completely impoverished, begging for a way to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And the grammar continues to, to build here. It says here that they were begging us, this would be Paul and his band of men leading the, in this collection over a course of years, with much urging. That word urging is a common word that's translated here differently, just like the common word for begging is, as we just mentioned, it's the, it's the Greek word that means to call someone alongside, to help them. Very, very popular word if I was to say it in Greek. Many of you would remember it. It means to come alongside, though, with urgency, to, to give aid. It's a word of partnership, of doing something together with passion. Literally, they, they put out their petitioner's cup which, with, as one author said, much importunity and aggressiveness. And what were they begging for? They were begging for an opportunity to participate. So they actually were begging to give. Only grace can do that. I don't think it's part of any of our human nature to beg to give. Right? As a matter of fact, when you sit down and you do your budget, you might even do a crown financial budget or whatever, right? Giving is always planned in those budgets, right? Here's what I make, here's what tax takes out, and the first thing is what? Here's my tithe. Well, the New Testament doesn't talk about a tithe. We're going to talk about that next time we're together. May not sit well with some of you, but it doesn't matter. We're going to talk about what the Bible says right? New Testament doesn't talk about a tithe, but it does talk about it. We'll discuss that. So, so for us, the way we've learned giving is somewhat of in a, in a planned, disciplined, prioritized way 
But that's the antithesis of how spirit-filled believers gave in the New Testament. The Macedonians didn't sit down with a budget. They didn't have one. They didn't have computers, right? They didn't have Bibles. Most of them probably didn't even have parchment and pen. How can you do a budget when you don't have that stuff? It's kind of like we try to read our 21st experience, century experience back into their lives. All they had was the grace of God, the word of God, and the people of God to learn out what this thing was. So if we're going to understand the nature of what and how grace is and how they operated, we have to understand this, that, that, that God's grace compelled them to beg to give. And this wasn't seasonal. This was a lifestyle for the Macedonians. They were doing this over a course of years, not a fall at Christmas time, right? This was their lifestyle. For the favor of participation, two more words here that are common to favor, we already said in our introduction, grace and participation. This is the Greek word koinonia, where you see fellowship or partnership, having all things in common. They were begging God, right? Because they were compelled by grace, they were begging Paul to understand how they could help care for the needs of the saints so that the progress of the gospel could continue. Wow. It sounds like they were trying to do something together, doesn't it? It sounds like they wanted to form a partnership, doesn't it? It sounds to me like they were, the last thing on their mind was special interest giving. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes over my 30 years of experience, there's people that want to give, but they just want to give to missionaries. Or they just want to give to their particular line item on the budget that they're involved with in the church. Or they just want to give to child care. Or they just want to give to this. There's no line item giving here. Are you, are you with me? Amen. There's no explication of that here. They just gave. And we said last time, it wasn't just their time and their talents, their spiritual gifts. The Macedonians here particularly were giving of their resources because at this place, particular time, they couldn't transport their time and their talents from Macedonia to Jerusalem. You don't do that. You can't carry time and talents with you to give to somebody else. So it had to be financial and material resources. And they were begging for a partnership. The Macedonians didn't know any particular specialized, individualized, compartmentalized kind of giving. Because the grace of God doesn't teach it that way. They just gave. They just did it. Because the grace of God teaches to just do it. Well, I'm going to give if they give. Well, I'm going to give so much if this person gives so much. Well, I'm only going to tithe if they tithe. Well, now tithe is, we're going to find out next time we're together, tithe wasn't even anything but a tax. 
Tithe was a tax, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We'll discuss that next time. They did it together. They didn't wait for somebody else to give. They didn't challenge somebody else to give. They were just saying, hey, let's learn from the Macedonians on how they're doing it. Corinthians, that's the way you used to do it. Now let's just get on board and let's do this. That's just what spirit-filled churches do. So it shouldn't have to be much of a conversation. And quite frankly, when it is a conversation, it'd be a simple, normal one. Shouldn't be a hard conversation. Again, the Macedonians knew the importance of the Jerusalem church. From her, the gospel went forth first. She was the model, the first church. She needed practical aid so her gospel influence could continue. And you know what? It took a church that was impoverished, the Macedonians, to learn that another place that had it worse than them, Jerusalem, could be ministered the grace of God by them. And grace taught them, taught the Macedonians this with conviction and then with passion they begged to help. And the reverberation again of that main verb continues to sound off in our next phrase as well, in support of the saints. In support of the saints. Another familiar word here translated differently in the New American Standard. The word support is where we get English word deacon. It's diakonos. They wanted to be servants, right? They just wanted to serve in this matter. This is the first word I believe that'll tie to a few final phrases we consider this morning that teaches us that this grace of giving that the Spirit of God teaches us is an act of worship. It's an act of service among the people of God to support the needs of the holy ones. I find it wonderful that Paul uses the term saints to identify the Christians in Jerusalem. These are the holy ones of God, just like the Corinthians are holy ones of God, just like the Macedonian churches are the holy ones of God. We are a family in the same positional standing before God in Christ. It's Christ. It's the Spirit of God that baptized us into Christ, that declared us holy in Christ. And in this position, we seek to interdependently minister to one another in all of these ways that are the same for all of us in support of the holy ones. This is what grace does. It compels our hearts to share so the body can exist unto our mission. And we are all to be taught of grace to beg to do so. Now, I don't think, including me, right? There's been a few that have been examples to me of just coming and begging how they can give. But it's not a common thing in American Christianity because we've got a lot right? Some of you that come from foreign countries where you lived in and among impoverished people. Some of you that were homeless. And there's a handful of you that used to be homeless that lived out of your car with your parents or by yourselves that are here this morning. You know what it means to have nothing and how the grace of God 
developed your heart to give out of nothing that you had in your car as you're a homeless person, but you still found a way. That's God's grace. That's God's grace. But most believers in westernized Christianity have so much, they believe that what they're giving to God is a sacrifice. And they don't often think about how grace teaches the Christian heart here. And I understand that. I've been in that same group. But going through this text, I've been learning a lot about what I used to think biblical giving was and what I know it should be. to be in support of the saints regardless of my circumstance regardless poverty or wealth all these things we've gone through for the purpose and the promotion of the gospel grace compelled the Macedonian hearts to beg to give sacrificially, joyfully, proportionally passionately, ministerially and supportively Because the gospel of God in Christ needed to go forth and they needed to see it be done through interdependent support of each other in the sharing of resources. I can't get away from the reality of what's happening here in a more broad sense. Out of their poverty, the Macedonians are graced to beg to give as an example to the more affluent Corinthians who once did but had stopped This offering was gathered for years by quite a few servants of God for Jerusalem. So grace was not just teaching one church to give and to get right with God in that matter. It was again compelling Corinth to pick up what they had left off and be reminded it's never too late to do right for the cause of the gospel. And let's not forget what we can learn from others in the process when it comes to giving that's compelled by grace. Paul's asking the Corinthian people to learn from the Macedonians, and I think telling us here that there are things to be learned from other believers who are being taught by grace, these same things. Furthermore, let's not forget that grace teaches us when we give according to grace that not only are our needs and gospel progress met and achieved, But God will break the bread of your obedience, our obedience, and allow us to help other assemblies to do the same. We have an assembly learning from assemblies. Isn't that in the context? The uh, the Macedonian churches, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, among others. Churches being a model for a church. I would love to be in the context, and I think we are, and we're, we're moving more and more aggressively to being that Macedonian model here at Grace. But may we increase more and more. There are things that we can learn from other churches on how God's grace teaches us to give the same way. But there's things that we can learn from one another too. There's a few more phrases here that need to be unpacked. Phrases that are more overflow, again, from this main verb, they gave in verse 5. And this is one. Paul says here, and this not as we expected. They first gave themselves to the Lord. This is the phrase that I really believe is the meat of the understanding that giving is an act of worship. Giving like this, and can I say this? I'm going to be as careful as I can. 
Only giving like this is an act of worship. Because grace never changes and grace only teaches giving this way. Giving like this is an act of worship. He says, not that we have expected. What does that mean? What Paul's doing, he's got this group of folks led by Titus collecting this gift. And what's he's expecting in his humanity? In his humanity, he's saying this, I expected that you were going to give your finances and resources first, but that's not what happened. You gave yourself first. Right? The Greek word's protos. We get the English word priority. And this is why then you gave practically. And that's what grace does, right? It teaches all of us Submission to God and his will and his word must happen first and then it's supernaturally natural to give in these ways. That's powerful. And Paul's saying he's even learning something there. He's like, oh yeah. I guess I must have given myself to the Lord first because I just do this naturally. And so hey, this is what the Macedonians were doing. So Corinth, remember, as you become undistracted from unbelief and you get attracted to how grace operates, remember, this is how it's done. This is how it's done. There's a most powerful phrase as we continue to go forward. And remember, this is the phrase that is or has our main verb in it. Remember we highlighted last time we were together, they gave as the main verb for the whole long sentence. And I really think that's on purpose here. Because really, all of these ways we've been describing giving only happen when you first give yourself to the Lord. When you give yourself to the Lord. There's no practical giving until there's first a devotional giving. For the Macedonian, Paul's know that their giving is second nature because their devotion to God was first nature stuff. Did you hear that? For the Macedonians, Paul knows that their giving is second nature because their devotion to God was first nature reality. Therefore, their giving was an act of worship. Paul is most excited here to announce that he's more thrilled with their devotion than their giving. Can you grasp that? He's more thrilled with their devotion than their giving. You say, okay, great. Well, then I'll have my devotions and I don't have to give. If, you're, if you got that by now, you checked out for lunch at 1015. That's not what he's saying here. He's thrilled that they are giving because of this that they did first in order of priority. Devoted people don't need to be exhorted to give. Now think about that as it relates to everything that has been conservative Christianity and fundraising in the last 50 years. All well motivated, 
But the methodologies are quite burdensome, aren't they? Quite burdensome. Very performance-based. I think in their intention when all of this is just to be supported by grace. Devoted people don't have to be exhorted to give. They don't need to be begged to give. They beg to give. And again, this is when we know we're knowing that we're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We devote ourselves to God first, and then grace lavishes our lives practically, practically with the what to do next. Kind of reminds us of Romans 12, 1 and 2, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11, that the Apostle Paul always wrote. It's our logical service to do what? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you offer your life as a living sacrifice. That's devotion. So we don't even give as the world gives. That's not how we discern how to give. We give as God's grace teaches us to give, to devote first, to allow giving just to be joyful, sacrificial, proportionate, begging-like giving. Devotion to God. The personal and corporate worship of God includes the grace of giving, and it's actually easy. And I'm contending with all of my loving friends when I say this, and I'm not meaning to be contentious. I really don't believe sacrificial giving is painful for the Macedonians. I mean, 2 Corinthians 9, we're going to see that in a few weeks. The Lord loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful or a hilarious giver. I don't know the pain in that. Now, I understand they gave sacrificially and joyfully. We've already talked about that first two verses, but I don't know that sacrificial giving to the believer is painful, and it certainly shouldn't be painful to westernized Christians who are layered with many, many things above and beyond food, clothing, and shelter. I mean, I don't even think I know yet how to truly sacrificially give like these folks did. But I know I need to be increasingly taught of the grace of God how to do so. Remember, we considered Hebrews 12 a couple weeks ago. Christ modeled this in the giving of himself, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now we know from the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in a lot of pain, humanly, and that's the only thing that, that kind of makes me hesitate on what I said before, but I said it anyway. I'm trying to figure out, as your pastor, what it means to sacrificially give by learning from the life of Christ, who I know hurt. His death, of, his gift of himself caused him pain like no other human being. I understand that. But somehow, grace operates. And again, I'm learning from this. You older than I in the Lord, you can teach me how it's, maybe if it's doing this for you. That, 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 that somehow in the sacrifice, the joy overshadows the sacrifice to the point where you really don't feel the sacrifice. 
joy eclipses sacrifice, even though sacrifice is always the nature of grace-taught giving. Help me figure that out. I'm way open. The agony coupled with joy is only a coupling accomplished by grace. We do know that. And that's how we know God the Spirit is doing this and not us. So powerful. Paul goes on to teach us that they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then this is the next part that my stomach, out of all of this text, had the hardest time digesting. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to, what does it say? And to us. And then the final prepositional phrase of that phrase says what? It was the will of God to do both. So there's a twofold priority here. There's an A priority and a B priority. They gave themselves to God. That was an act of worship. And then they were able to investigate the sacrificial, joyful giving of their pastors, their teachers, and their leaders and find out how God's grace taught them. And then, remember, it's the most powerful it's, 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 it's the verb. That's the fulcrum of the whole text. They gave. Then they learned how grace taught even their leaders how to give. So they sat down and they were having discussions. So they were asked to have discussions. How did this happen? And Paul was able to explain to them his own theology, his own practice, his own human struggle, and how grace taught him. And they learned from that example. So I think that's a great model for those of you discipling each other. In the Foundations book, in the walk, we try to pepper throughout our whole disciple-making map when it's appropriate and within its biblical proportion the discussions about giving. If you have a discipler that doesn't give, then they need to be exhorted like Corinth is to consider some Macedonians. But I'm assuming that all disciples are governed by God's grace and how to give. So therefore, they have something to teach the person they're discipling on the matter. But everyone discipling somebody else has someone else more mature than them that's going to teach them how to give and do so the same way that grace teaches them according to this text. Kind of reminds me when Paul said Ephesians... 5, I think it is, 1 Corinthians 11. Follow me if I'm following Christ. And in those contexts, those were broader contexts of ask. Here it's a particular. You did submit your will to us. The Macedonians did. Now, Corinthians, you used to. Now let's pick it up. Let's go and move forward. Paul's saying here it's okay to have a model and to submit yourselves to the model of progressive growth as that leader that's modeling for you is himself or herself growing. And it's by the will of God. So if you don't know how the grace of God operates in the grace of giving, you do know this. It no, it, no one can leave the auditorium this morning and say, I, I got this by myself. You say, oh, later on, you're going you're gonna to have to undo that when you preach the phrase, as every man purposes in his heart. Yeah, but you can't divorce that phrase from the rest of this context. Are you with me? Amen. So giving is not 
exclusively or merely a private matter. It may start there as you give yourself to the Lord, but then the grace of God compels all of our hearts to learn, not only from the Lord, his word, but from each other. It's going to get even more powerful when we look at verse 10 next time we're together. Boy, I hope you keep coming to church. This, 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 this is so, it's just totally transformed my outlook on this topic. It's become very helpful to me. I hope I keep growing. Right? It's the will of God that I do both. So if you don't have a model, well, Christ is your model. There's models in his word. There's a church that's modeling. Church is modeling in the word. And seated around you are a lot of other people that we should be learning from that are modeling how God's grace is operating their lives. And if you are going to be first devoted to God, you will learn from each one of these models. deciding going through my notes what I can skip and not skip to keep my time period here. So you wonder why the vocal pause. I don't think I can skip anything because my sermon's scripted. You will first be devoted to God and you'll want to find others devoted to God and you'll want to learn from them. Throughout the years of pastoring, it's interesting to me what you observe. One of those things I've observed is that it's natural to talk about everything that is church, but it's not natural to talk among ourselves about this matter of worship. I think there's all kinds of reasons for this. The to us is one of them. I don't think it's easy for people who have been hurt by other pastors, other leaders. They did cho choose to follow their example. Again, to renew their passion to follow another person that's in leadership. I'm just kind of self-analyzing this. But Paul had maintained his integrity, right? And he had said that the Macedonians had maintained theirs. And there was something that the Macedonians had learned from them and then had submitted their lives to their example, their modeling of this, so that they now could become a model for the Corinthian people. But a lot of believers have been hurt by leadership. Maybe a former disciple or church as a whole did this to you. And it takes time for that believer to believe in the character of a pastor, a disciple, or even a mission of a church. Because a lot of churches just simply aren't about pursuing the Great Commission, although they have a lot of missions they're involved with. I don't know. I do know that the devil will do everything he can to even falsely remove spiritual models and to keep you from giving your lives to them by the will of God in the learning of the giving, the grace of giving. For me, I'm forever thankful for the deep and wide character of our pastors and our elders here at Grace Church, and so many more. We're speaking here, Paul says, to us. He's speaking from a leadership perspective. They've modeled for me for over 35 years the grace of giving. Many of you, including these leaders, have been great examples of giving to me as a young person. 
Well, who are some of the ones I follow? My father was a great example to me on how God's grace developed him to give. And he never believed in a tithe. We'll explain that later. I know I said that three times. That's that's cheese getting you to come back. My father-in-law, Rhonda's dad, tremendous mentor to me in the area of giving. Both are now with the Lord, as you know. A dear friend of mine whose wife is dying of cancer, an amazing example to me. A number on our own Maturity Matters group are great examples to me in learning the grace of giving. My own brother John is a tremendous example to me in the grace of giving. If you will just allow grace to make you aware of who the models are, grace will unavoidably place them right in your windshield. Grace will make them so obvious and grace will compel you to live their example as they follow Christ. I remember years ago, we were in high school, my brother decided to ask me to launch out and and start our own painting company. Crazy idea. I think he was 18 and I was 16. I'd come out of my glorious years of being proud to wear the old paper McDonald's hats. Really ready to leave that era of my life. Apprentice with a painter for a little bit, and he said, hey, let's go do this on our own. I won't go through all that. That's not the point. When my brother was saved, God gifted him with an ability uh, to be generous. And I can remember at that time, um, there was a family in our church that had a business that had gone under, and uh, they were Macedonians. They had nothing. Uh, My brother had gotten wind that this particular family uh, just had a couple things in their cupboard to offer food for their kids, and they're facing maybe losing their house because this business was going under. And he said, hey, you know, why don't we go get some food and the two of us just take it to their house? So we did. And that was my brother's idea. It wasn't mine. But we did that because we had grown up watching them give out of their want. And even though they had a jar of peanut butter in their cabinet, they were giving out of their need. We learned from them what the grace of giving really is. When the transmission business was booming, they gave. And when they had a jar of peanut butter, they didn't care what was in their 401k. And if it was profitable, they didn't even have one. They'd give the jar of peanut butter. Wow. So thank you. I read an author this week, I I shared it in in Sunday school. The Lord uses two, uh, Paul uses two phrases in the New Testament. He uses the word, our Lord, 53 times, and my Lord, once. And this author said, he rightly explained, Christianity is communal. You're not a free agent. Invest your life in learning from the church family. Because the grace of God is teaching them. 
So many have modeled for me, and I choose to submit my life to their example because they have chosen to submit their lives to Christ's modeling as they're taught by grace. It's a wonderful thing to see our flock increasingly doing that which is good for each other and good for the cause of the gospel. And it's more and more being clearly evidenced among us. The Corinthians had clearly evidenced that they had stopped for a year. But with the grace, Paul is saying it's never too late to follow another example of grace as the Macedonians did. Consider how the Macedonians modeled Christ's model in verse 9, which we've already talked about. Christ, who was rich, became poor in order that we might become rich. What joy. What grace. What divine reality really this is. Because this is the antithesis of a mere human motivation or a mere, mere human practice. This is an act and a byproduct of worship first and then normal Christian living second in all these ways and according to this modeling. And it is the will of God. You hear me? Amen. Did you hear what the Bible said? This way is the will of God. Amen. So we all got to learn it, including me, more and more. Profound, profound. Verse 6. I know we got to wrap up here. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete it in you, complete in you this gracious work as well. Grace had led Titus to be quite an encouragement to Paul. We know that from chapter 2 and other things we've described. He traveled far and wide, faithfully pursuing the will of God among many churches in favor of the Jerusalem church's needs and the progress of the gospel. What Paul, what's Paul teaching by mentioning Titus here? The sentence is wrapped up, but here's like a concluding sentence before we move on to our next paragraph, next time we're together. Well, Paul's got contemporaries that are models of grace too. I think he's just restating here in verse 6 what he's been layering in explanation of this primary verb they gave found in verse 5. And my friends, we all have a great cloud of witnesses around us that know truly what the grace of this kind of giving, which is biblical giving, truly is. Truly is. We get into verse 7, we'll find out some more virtues that are just kind of listed here that are common virtues, common realities to the soul that's mentored by God's grace and now we're going to find out next time we get together how the grace of giving is just kind of naturally supernaturally coupled and linked with all these virtues in verse 7 just to teach us that it's okay it's just a normal thing it's not a specialized thing 
right? It should be talked about within its biblical portion like we talk about all these other things. It's just as part of the family of biblical virtues. It's all what God's grace does. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to know your word and to learn it. I pray, Lord, you continue to help us grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help me as dig out the truth from the text and convey it to our people that I do so according to your will by the governance of your spirit according to your word and Lord as some of these new things have been convicting to me they may be convicting to many others who have been around Christianity for a long time and I understand that but help us Lord to continue by grace to learn all this together in Christ's name we pray Amen